Good morning, Center Church. How's everybody this morning? Awesome, awesome. Well, it is a privilege to be here this morning. Uh, my role has changed uh, over the last uh, six months, so I used to be here every other week, and uh, I loved being here every other week because when I come here, it feels like home, okay? Um, I don't know if you get that when you come here, but it feels like home. Uh, but with my role changing, we've added another church to the Zero Collective. My uh, role has changed now from just being the executive pastor of Frontline and the executive pastor of Center to now being the executive pastor of the Zero Collective. So we have three churches, Frontline Church over in Grand Rapids. We have Center Church here in Byron Center. And now we have New Life Church uh, down in Wayland. So uh, spread over in three different communities, same mission, same vision, but... Uh, my role has switched where I'm to one each week. So I just love coming back here, though, because this is, this is like home. So uh, as we begin this morning, I want to take you back to the year 1976. Now, some of you are going like, there was a 1976? Yes, there was a year 1976. Uh, 1976 was an important year for our country. That was the year of the bicentennial. Anybody remember that? There's a few hands of, yes, old timers like me. 1976, it was where we celebrated 200 years of independence on that day. And so it was a huge year for us, like our country, but it was also a huge year for me because in 1976, I was 10 years old. And just like this country breaking free from the tyranny and the oppression of, of a different life out in, uh, in Europe, me, myself, was breaking free of the tyranny and the oppression of my family living in that three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath house over on a cul-de-sac where I decided at 10 years old I was going to break free and I was going to run away. Has anybody decided they want to run away before when they were a kid? I decided I wanted to run away. So at 10 years old, I laced up my kid's tennis shoes there. I grabbed my $6 million man lunchbox. I headed out on my, uh, on my banana seat bike there, and I elicited the help of my neighbor, Cindy, and we took off for the great beyond. Not really. What we did is we lived on a cul-de-sac, and we decided that we are going to run away into this big field that was in the back of our uh, property over there at the time. And in this big field was this huge tree. And so for the better part of the day, Cindy and I spent this entire day over at that tree, not knowing that our, our moms knew that we were out there the whole time. But the day went on, and it was an awesome day. We made great plans of what the future would look like. But pretty soon... It got cold, it got dark, and we got hungry, and we got scared, and so we went home. But it was a great adventure for the day, and it was the first time we tasted freedom. It was the first time that I felt independent. And that is a, that's the theme this morning when we talk about independence versus dependence. From the moment that we are born, uh, born into the world, we are basically dependent upon others. As a child, as a baby, you are dependent for your clothing, you're dependent for your, uh, your roof over your head, you're dependent for your meal. You're dependent on the fact that somebody is going to clean up after you if you've made a mess. But as we move on into adulthood, um, we realize the greatest thing is to be independent. And as parents, we strive to the fact that we want our children to be independent. In fact, as a parent, you count it as a great success if your child at the age of 35 is not living in your basement playing Xbox, okay? That is a great success as a parent. You're determined to success. As a, as a culture and as a country, we live independently. 
A few weeks ago, we had the privilege of celebrating our independence as a nation on July 4th. And as, uh, as a country, that is something we need to celebrate. And I'm happy that we get to celebrate that. But we, as a culture, strictly live into this independence, this independence, and this independence. And yet, God calls us to be dependent upon him. What we're going to look at this morning, uh, Brendan last week set us up really well with Fragile Faith, and last week we talked about what it looks like from religion to relationship. And this week we're going to look, about like, uh, we're going to look at what it looks like to be from independent to be dependent upon God. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we can grab those. You have your phones, your electronic devices, you want to pull those out. We're going to be in uh, John 15 today. And this is a very familiar verse for many of us who have grown up in the church. We've taken a look at this verse, and you're going to read it, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, I remember that verse. But we're going to take a look at it in a little different context this morning. We're going to break it out a little bit more. So if you have your phones, go ahead and pull up John 15. Let me set the stage for you, because uh, when we jump into the Bible and we jump into a passage like that, it kind of feels like we're coming into the middle of a movie, doesn't it? I mean, you just read, and you're going, gosh, what, what happened beforehand and what happened afterwards? And you really have no context. So let me set this up. <clears throat> what's happening here uh, before we jump into that. Jesus is ending, uh, getting towards the end of his ministry here on earth. And he has been uh, spending three and a half years with 12 guys, and he's been feeding into them, and he's been loving on them, and he's been helping them grow. And he's in this upper room right now and having this last supper. And during this time right now, he's washed their feet, He's actually told them that somebody's coming after him called the Holy Spirit, who they have no idea who that is. And now he's going to tell him this parable about a vine and remaining into a vine. And I think the disciples' heads are probably spinning around this time, okay? They're trying to figure out, what is all this? What's happening? So we're going to pick up the passage right there at John 15, uh, verses 1 through 8. So let's read it. let me read it here. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." Now, these verses right here that we looked at, these verses are an allegory, okay? The disciples are listening intently to Jesus, and they're probably wondering to themselves, what is he talking about? As I mentioned, he told them he'd washed their feet. He's already told them about one of them's going to betray them, and they're probably looking at each other going like, is it you or is it you? And then he's, he's telling them about the Holy Spirit coming on to him, and now he starts in this whole allegory about being a vine and remaining in me, and I think if I was a disciple, and maybe you put yourself in one of their shoes there, you're going, 
I'm really not quite sure what's going on here. I know about vines, though, and I know about wine, because if you remember correctly, what was Jesus' first miracle? It was turning water into wine. So let's take a little deeper look, as I said, into this verse. And there's four main characters within this whole verse. Okay? The first character is God as the vine grower. Uh, the second character is Christ as the vine. The third characters there are the disciples, are the branches. And the last ones are those who do not remain in Christ or follow Christ, and those are the useless branches. So I thought it would be cool if we looked at each one of these characters and kind of broke it apart and take a look at what it means to be dependent upon God. So let's take a look at the first one. The first one is God as the vine grower. Now, this vinery imagery, the vine imagery that's within the Bible here where Jesus is talking, this would be very, very familiar to uh, not only the disciples, but to those in the culture. Because in Israel at that time, the vine and grapes were used in a lot of different um, decorations. They were minted on coins. I think we have a couple pictures here as, uh, of one that's uh, minted on the coin, the grapes on the coin. We have the, the grapes here being uh, devoured by the birds <laughs> on, on a tapestry on a wall. So they really decorated and they used the vines and the wines and the branches uh, in a lot of their architectural and a lot of their imagery. Now in the Old Testament, uh, Israel is frequently pictured as a vine or as a vineyard. Um, but here's the ironic thing. Uh, it's not done in a positive note. It's not done in a positive note. Usually, it's done in a negative note. So here's a couple of verses that I pulled out here. First one is from Jeremiah 2, verse 21. It says, God said, I planted you as a noble vine, wholly a right seed. How then have you turned into this degenerate branch of a foreign vine to me? Another one here from Isaiah. Isaiah says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delights in. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. In the Old Testament, Israel was the vine, and it was subject to God's judgment. However, in John 15, if we take a look at this, that takes a 180-degree turn, and now Israel's not the vine anymore. Jesus is the vine. And if we take a look at that and take that one step farther, who took the punishment? Who took the judgment? For all of us, that was Jesus. The vineyard and the wines were, or the vines uh, imagery was really important to the disciples, as I said. Uh, more than likely, they passed by vineyards all the time. Uh, it wasn't uncommon that people would either own vineyards or people worked in the vineyards. That was a common uh, job for many people in those days. So this imagery for the disciples, they understand what's going on. And they would understand the fact that if there is a branch on the vine that is useless, it has to be cut off because useless vines are just that. They're useless. And what they would do is they would drain the energy of the whole vine. So there's two kinds of prunings that the vine grower, that our God does, that we take a look at here. The first one is a cutting back. And the cutting back is he takes the fruitful branches and he cuts them back to promote growth. The second thing he does is he separates. And those are the branches that don't bear fruit and they're cut off because they're worthless. To leave them in place serves no real purpose. And it actually reduces the value of the entire vineyard. So to cut off those branches 
increased the value of the vineyard. And we know that for a fact, if you see that, if you know somebody who's a vine grower, they have to cut back. And we know that uh, we live out towards the Fruit Ridge, apple country out there, and we see them pruning all the time because they have to prune that back so the crops become more fruitful. But here's the truth. God prunes those he loves. God prunes those he loves. Let me say that again. God prunes those he loves. He prunes both fruitful branches and he prunes worthless branches. It doesn't say that he just prunes the worthless branches. He prunes the fruitful ones as well. Whether the, the branch is productive or not, it does not escape the vine grower's knife. He's going to cut branches. I think we would all like to believe in this imagery that the unproductive branch should be cut off, okay? Because that just makes sense to us as Christians. If you're unproductive and judgment comes down on you, we think God should just say, you know what? Sure enough, that one should be struck down. But uh, not only that does he prune that branch, but he prunes the productive ones at all as well. Um, pruning can be painful. Pruning can be painful. Maybe you know this for experience in your own life that some things have been pruned in your life and you were thinking, man, I've been doing some things right. I think God should be blessing on me, but it feels like the weight of God is on you. God prunes those he loves. Those he loves, he prunes. Life is painful. Um, sometimes we think God's displeased with us. Sometimes we feel like we're facing God's wrath or God's anger because things aren't going our way. But maybe if we just take a look at it from a different perspective, we can say, you know what? Maybe it's not that. Maybe God is pruning me so I can be more fruitful. So my question to you this morning, as you think about God as the vine grower, what does he need to prune in your life? What does he need to cut away in your life so you can be more fruitful? Maybe for you it's a relationship, a relationship that isn't very healthy, and you need to prune that away, and he needs to take that away. Maybe for you it's an unhealthy habit, something that's causing problems with your health or with your marriage, with your emotions. Maybe for you it's an addiction, alcohol or porn or food addiction. Maybe that needs to be pruned away. Or maybe just for you it's pride. It's pride. God has a way of pruning you down. So what does God need to prune away in our lives that we could be more faithful to him and more fruitful to him? He is a good, good father. And we'd love to think that just because we follow his ways that he's just going to make our path straight. But that's not the truth. He prunes those he loves. So let's take a look at the next character. The next character in here is Jesus as the vine. Jesus as the vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. With that, he says, I am the true vine. It brings to matter to think that maybe there was a false vine somewhere that uh, he is implying towards. I think as the disciples, he's telling the disciples this, um, they probably witnessed maybe some of the false vines as he, in, through his ministry. They saw him uh, heal people. They saw him drive out demons. I'm sure they may have saw their share of false vines in there. But he's talking to the disciples and he's saying, I am. And he's using this ver verbiage. And that's really important because he uses this, this verbiage a lot of different times. 
And this verbiage actually comes from the first part of this uh, whole chapter of John where it says, I am who I am. I am who I am. He says in the words, he says, I would, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He is the great I am. Here's a few things where he says, I am. Just in this chapter alone, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the true vine. God is the gardener. It makes us understand who's in relationship here. So when we read that, we think that there's a superiority, a superiority of God being the Father and Jesus being the vine, that, that God would be a Father above him. But there also suggests that there's a mutuality between the two, okay? Because listen here. If the vine, the son, is dependent upon the vine grower, right, to grow for its care and for its fear, for its feeding, but the vine grower, father, is also dependent upon the son to be fruitful. So it comes together. They're actually one. There's a mutuality that exists between the two. Jesus says, I am the, and the father are one. He says this in John 10, verse 30. He says, I and the Father are one. This is important because this statement identifies Jesus staying connected to the vine. He has to stay connected to the vine grower. They're linked together. The vine is worthless without the vine grower, and the vine grower produces no fruit without the vine. So they have to be together. It goes on, it says, remain in me and I in you. Um, so here's a little Greek lesson, and it's not because I'm a scholarly Greek, uh, you know, knowledgeable about all this, but I do have Google, and I looked this up, and I wanted to know what remain means. So remain equals mino, mino. So in its various forms, this occurs a number of times in this whole passage in the Gospel of John. So here's just a few things where it says where he remains in me. Now the vine remains in me. John testifies, I have seen the Spirit descending like a dove out of heaven, and it remained on him. It remained on him. The next verse, it says, Jesus rebukes the Jewish leaders, saying, You don't have this word living or remaining in you, Minota, because you don't believe in him who sent you. And the last one here says, Jesus says, As the branch can bear no fruit by itself unless it remains, it minos, in the vine, so neither can you Remain in me. Remaining is a big deal. Remaining is a big deal because remaining equals abiding. And abiding in Jesus enables us to bear fruit. If we're able to stay and remain in him, we're able to bear much fruit. And we talk about fruit here a lot. And I'm just thinking, you know, maybe you're sitting here going like, what is fruit? What, what kind of fruit is, is Jesus talking about here? And I just threw three thoughts down here. Three thoughts. Um, Loving one another. Jesus calls us to love one another. Loving one another is a fruit. Obeying, obedience, which is a tough one, isn't it? Obedience, that's a tough one. That's a fruit. But joy, joy is a fruit also. Later in Romans, uh, or, I'm sorry, in Galatians, uh, Paul writes about some other fruit. 
And we read about that. Paul says there's fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gen- generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm a thinking if we mean if we remain in Jesus, those fruits come also. Those fruits come also. Uh, last fall, my wife and I had the privilege of taking a little vacation time, and we flew out to Napa Valley. Has anybody been out to Napa Valley before? A couple of you have. Napa Valley, if you're not familiar, that's in California, is considered like the mecca of wine growing in not only California, but also in probably in the United States. A lot, a lot of wine is produced out there. And we went out there last fall when it was harvesting season. And it was an absolute amazing trip. Um, we went out there and we visited, we were out there for like seven days. And pretty much every day we visited at least one or two wineries. Not because we're winos or anything like that, but just because we wanted to see the culture and see what was happening out there and enjoy what, um, what this area had to offer. And so a number of wineries we went to, some were just incredibly fancy. I mean, you would come in and you needed to have a sport coat and a tie on. There were chandeliers. And you're thinking, I'm supposed to be at a winery, but I didn't know I was going to like a ballroom or something like that. But they had these wonderful tasting rooms where you could, where you could taste the wine and just figure out you know, what you liked and what you didn't like. And so there's two, two things that happened out there that, that I learned, uh, not only about myself, but also learned about wine. So the first thing I learned is I have absolutely no taste and no smell for wine, okay? I am wine stupid, okay, if you want there. We had a test there where um, we had a whole big group of us taking this wine test, and they had 10, bottle, 10 tastes of wine there. And you had to sniff them and to smell what the aroma and the fragrance was. And then you had to taste them. And then you had to mark down, they had numbers on them, what, which one that corresponded to on the test. Just to test your thing out. So there must have been a group of 20 of us. And, uh, you know, one person got all of 10 of those things correct. Man, that, that guy was just awesome. There was a handful of people that probably got about seven to eight, which is probably my wife who got that. There was a more of a number of people that got about four to five of those right. But there's only one guy, only one guy that got one right in that entire thing, and you're looking at him, okay? So, and the only reason I got one right is because I copied one off of my wife's thing. I just cheated, okay? So just be straight up honest. But I had no idea what that stuff is, and I still don't. I don't understand the taste of it. But one of the other things that happened while we were on this trip is... Like I said, we got to go into all of these tasting rooms, but the one that I remember the most, the, not the tasting room, but the trip, the, uh, the excursion on this one, was we actually got to go into the vineyard. And we went out there, and we went out with one of the vine growers. And the vine grower was showing us not only just the produce of the grapes being uh, harvested at the time, but he took such care of showing us the vine itself and showing us how it was strung up and how the, it was digging down and what the nutrients were in, in the ground, in the soil, because what produced in the soil produced the wine, the nutrients they put in there. And so he took such care, such thing there. And as I was putting this message together, I just kept thinking of this imagery of this guy who was this, cared so deeply for these vines. And I think of the imagery of our father and how deeply he cares for us in such a big and better way than any vine grower could care for a vine. But if we remain in God and we remain in Jesus, we can produce a lot, a lot of fruit. 
There's a strength and there's a security that comes from remaining in the vine. The problem is, many of us, we find our strength and our security not in remaining in the vine, but in other things. Maybe for you, your strength and your security comes from your bank account. And you look like that. If I can get to X amount here, I'm going to be strong and secure in there. Because that's where, that's where my worth is found. Maybe for you, it's in a relationship with another person. Maybe for you, it's in some of your possessions. Maybe for you, it's in some of your accomplishments. Where are you trying to find your worth? If you're remaining in God and you're remaining in the vine, you're going to produce a lot more fruit. And it's not going to be stuff like that. It's going to be stuff that lasts in this life. The question I have for you is, are you remaining in him? Do you find your strength? Do you find your security in him? He's the one who provides it. Let's move on. Next character in the story is the disciples. Um, the disciples are the branches, okay? Um, comparing disciples to branches is pretty cool. Uh, they passed by, as I said, a lot of vineyards. They knew this whole imagery very well. Um, they were totally on it. I think as confused as they were probably sitting in that room, I'm thinking when they got to talking about the vines and stuff, even though they didn't know where God was going, they knew vines and they knew vineyards and they knew branches. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I read scripture, I, I typically put myself in the role of a hero, okay? Or I put myself in the role of the compassionate one. Or I put myself in the role of the one that makes the obvious right choice. Uh, Specifically, when Jesus talks about Pharisees and Sadducees and religious few, I think, yeah, those are those guys over there. I'm going I'm to be the one that makes the right choice. Now, do you remember the story about the Good Samaritan where this man is injured and, you know, a Levite pass, passes by, a priest passes by, and nobody helps him? They actually go on the other side of the road. Um, a Levite and a priest are actually basically a pastor. And so those are pastors that went by this guy. And I think, oh, I would never do that. I would never do that. I'd be more like that good Samaritan guy that stopped. So that's what I do. And I think we as a tendency, as, as, as a group of individuals, when we read the Bible, we tend to set, put ourselves in the role of like, oh, I wouldn't be that. I wouldn't be that. And I think in this story here where we're talking about the disciples and they're hearing Jesus talking about remaining in him and he's getting there and they're saying to themselves, oh, yeah, of course, Jesus, we're going to be those guys. We're going to be the guys that remain in you. We will not desert you. We are here. We're going to remain in you. And yet, if we look just a few chapters later, what happened to all the disciples when Jesus needed them? He's on a cross. They weren't with him then. He was in front of all of the, uh, the, uh, pre, uh, the judges and stuff. You couldn't find a disciple then. And they left him, and they left him, and he was by himself. Um, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. They came back. They came back, and I think Jesus knew that they would come back. In fact, I know that Jesus knew that they would come back. And so that gives me a little hope, because here's the disciples. They spent three and a half years with this guy, and they're all totally bought in, and they're sitting there, and they're thinking, yeah, I'm going to remain in him. And they desert him when, they, when he needs them. But yet, they came back. And for me, that gives me great hope because there's many times I feel like I probably desert God or I desert Jesus.
but he has the grace and he has the love. And he welcomes me back one time. He welcomes me back a second time. He welcomes me back a third time. He welcomes me back uh, umpteenth time. And that's what he does for all of us. That's what grace is. And it's never, it's never too late to remain in him. He is the vine grower. God is, Jesus is the vine, and he wants you to remain in him. Let's take a look at the last, uh, the last people in the story. And those are those who don't follow Christ, and they're considered useless branches. Uh, let me take a look at the passage one more time. It says, If you don't remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, and it withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. That sounds a lot like judgment, doesn't it? I mean, does that sound like judgment to you? It sounds like, you know what? This is, uh, this is not a good ending for a lot of people. You know, this is one thing to talk about branches, okay? It's one thing to talk about saying, like, hey, that's a worthless branch. We're going to throw that in the fire. But we're talking people's lives here. We're talking people that aren't remaining to him and saying those are going to be in the fire too. Who are those branches, though? That's the question. We probably ask ourselves, we're saying, am I one of those branches? Or am I one of the, am I one of the fruit ones that he prunes, you know? Then all of a sudden, pruning doesn't seem so bad, right? If, he's not, if you're worthless branch in the fire or just pruning, I'll take the pruning, okay? But who are those branches? Um, some scholars believe that the useless branches are Christians who bear no fruit. They bear no fruit. While some other scholars believe that useless branches are those who only pretend to be Christians, but have never really given their heart over to God. I would contend it's probably the latter of the two. I think it's the latter of the two. Here's, here's why. I think if you confess in Jesus Christ, even if you're not living the most awesome, ethically great life, if you confess in Jesus Christ, there's going to be some fruit in your life. It may be small. It may be just like a little bitty grape, okay? but there's going to be some fruit in your life. But for those who pretend to, who never really accept Jesus as their Savior, who never really follow his commands and live the life that he calls us to, I think that's where we talk about the worthless branches. And there, Jesus asks us to follow him. He asks us to remain in him. If he does, he'll remain in us, and we can bear much fruit. I want to take a look at the, the, the passage one more time here. Uh, let's take, if you can pull that up real quick. It says, if you do not mean you are like a branch, one more. I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay, go back one, I'm sorry. I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the world I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you see the escalation? Do you see the transition here? It starts out and it says you're going to bear fruit, okay? And then it says you're going to bear more fruit. And pretty soon it's going to say you're going to bear much fruit. Why, did, why does it go that way? It's because Jesus knows and God knows the fact that if you remain in him, if you dig into him, 
He's going to bear fruit in you. And it's not going to be just a little bit of fruit. It's going to be like a basketful of fruit. A basketful. So the idea is, how do we remain in him? How do we stay in him? How do we keep in him? And there's a lot of stuff that I passed on to you today. And uh, you're probably sitting there saying, well, what do I do with this? What do, how do I live this out? So let me just give you three ways that I think how, three disciplines I think that can help us live out that we can bear fruit, okay? The first one is just coming back to Center Church. Just continue to come here, support it, support it through your service, support it through your giving, support it through your prayers, your time. That's how you can bear much fruit. Second thought is look ways for ways to serve God. That's how we bear fruit to others there. Uh, we got an event coming up next week, uh, Sunday. It's called the 4GR event. That's an awesome event that you can jump into there. We'll have some people signed up out here that, or people out here that if you want to sign up for that. We have Byron Days coming up next weekend also, so that's an opportunity for you to serve. And lastly, how we bear much fruit is we remain in God, and that's by praying and reading our Bibles and staying connected to him. So I want to take you back now to the year 19... Uh, 91, 1991, 1992, right around in there. Uh, my wife, Kim, and I had been married at that point for about four or five years. And at that point, we have our first child, uh, Shelby, and she's about a year old. And we're living down at Richmond Park uh, area, if you know where that is in Grand Rapids. And we live in a house down there. And we live in this little Cape Cod bungalow thing, and it was starting to get small because my wife was pregnant uh, with our second child. And so... We decided to go ahead and try to look for a new home. And we wanted to stay on the west side of Grand Rapids because that's where I worked at the time and it would have been just easier for us as far as commuting between things. And we grew up on the west side, so that's what we decided to do. We ended up looking and looking and looking and finally we found this house that was kind of near where I actually grew up. It was about four streets over from where I grew up. And we ended up buying this wonderful little three-bedroom ranch and we moved in with our daughter and my pregnant wife, and, uh, and it, was, it was awesome. It was great. And so I'm a runner. I love to run. Um, so one morning, I headed out on a run, which isn't uncommon. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to run through the old neighborhood because I hadn't been there in a long time. So I started running through the old neighborhood, and I come upon my old house, and I look, and so much stuff has changed. I don't know if you've ever done that, if you sold a house, and you go back to it, and you're looking like, oh, my goodness, what did they do to the place? But take a look at it, and I'm running along, and then all of a sudden, I make a turn onto a street, and I look, and there's this tree. And I don't know if it was the same tree that I ran to when I was a kid, but it looked like it, you know. They had cleared out everything else, but there's this tree here, and I looked at it, and this flood of memories start coming to me. I think back to uh, all the stuff I did as a kid. The grief I called my, I probably caused my parents, but. And uh, I'm sitting there, and this flood of memories comes back to me. And I'm thinking about my own kids. And I'm growing up in this neighborhood. They're growing up in this neighborhood. And I'm wondering if they're going to run to this tree or run to someplace else. And what's going to happen with them? And so you got that going on. And it just kind of changed me. Just kind of changed my perspective. A little bit of what we're living in. Now fast forward to where we are today. And uh, my wife and I, we're, our kids are moved out. You know, so we're pretty much empty nesters. And uh, 
we're deemed successful parents. We don't have anybody living in the basement playing Xbox at 35 years old, okay? But uh, we're, um, we're going through this transition right now. And I think we would be deemed successful as parents because we look at it and our kids, our kids are all independent. You know, they're, they're living out and they've made great choices in life. But I would think what really deems us successful for us as parents is not the fact that they're independent, but the fact that they're dependent upon God. You see, freedom doesn't come from being independent. It comes from remaining in the vine. And God wants you to remain in the vine. And as I look at the lives of my children and the spouses that they're chosen, I'm proud. I'm proud because they're dependent upon God and they're bearing fruit. So whether you're a parent, whether you're single or your thing, remaining in him and you can bear fruit and not just bear some fruit. You can bear much fruit. Take a look at the verse one more time. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we want the freedom that comes from being in you, not the freedom that this world offers. We want the freedom that comes from being dependent upon the source of all goodness and all love and all joy and all obedience. And we ask, Lord, that you would look down on us and you would find us faithful, faithful fruit, faithful vines who would want to remain in you. I ask, Lord, that this group right here, as they look at their lives, Lord, and they look at, take an inventory of where they are right now and if they're remaining in you, that they would be obedient to do that and they would find the freedom that comes from that. And they would find your joy and your love in their lives. Pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them. I pray this in your holy name. And everybody said,